0: Winner number one. An article published in the Christophorus Magazine. Written by Jurgen Lewandowski. This Porsche 911 first touched American soil in Florida, where it is now on display in a museum. It also wrote history in that state, as the first 911 to win a major international circuit race, the GT class in the 1966 running of the 24 Hours of Daytona. Naples is located in southwest Florida. Palm trees sway gently in the breeze. Manicured lawns and parks dot the landscape. It has amazing beaches. Fishermen gather on Naples Pier, a Beverly Hills of the Gulf of Mexico. The city is the county seat of Collier County, named for the erstwhile entrepreneur and landowner Baron Collier. The Collier Collection will ring a bell for any sports car aficionado. A black Porsche 911 dazzles in the spotlight white stripes, number 18, no chrome, no dramatic spoiler, it's understated. But it was nonetheless the first 9-11 to score a class victory in an internationally renowned circuit race, an event of many colorful anecdotes, and in the midst of it all, the former Porsche race director and driver, Huschke von Hanstein, Fritz Sittig Werner von Hanstein, a name like an opera had choreographed the 24 hours of daytona to perfection in 1966 the porsche brand was still quite young in the 18th year since its founding however race director von hanstein wanted to show just how mature it was already daytona was to be the stage for the brand new 906 anything but a class victory was out of the question five 904 carrera gtss were on hand as a sort of security detail Hans Hermann and Herbert Linge would put the 906 far out in front. Von Hanstein was sure of that. And this is in the face of formidable competition. Nine Ford GT40s, including three new GT40 MLK2s, as well as eight Ferrari 250LMs and a Ferrari 365 P2. Von Hanstein was reckoning with all of them. Just not the unassuming, practically series-standard black Porsche 911 in the midst of the throng of GT cars. Von Hanstein looked up. Where did that 911 come from? At that point, there were just a couple hundred of the relatively new coupes in the United States, and this was just the second 911, chassis number 300-128, that Porsche had delivered to Herbert Brundage, a dealer in Jacksonville, Florida. He had used the car as a demonstration vehicle and sold it in 1965 with 30,000 miles on the odometer. The new owner was Jack Ryan, a Volkswagen dealer in the Atlanta area who was an active member of the Porsche Club of America, or PCA, with a passion for racing and GT cars in particular. His new acquisition, he thought, could be a winner. Not one to merely get his toes wet, Ryan was looking to make a splash. He drove straight to Florida. The next endurance marathon in Daytona was coming up. He figured he had a chance in the 2.0 liter GT class which was traditionally a rather thin field. Ryan got two friends from the PCA to join him, Bill Banker and Lynn Coleman. Together, they'd pull it off somehow. They quickly discovered that Porsche was disinclined to help with the race modifications. The 911 was simply too young, and the company itself was entirely focused on racing the 906. Ferdinand Piek a year into his stint as the head of the Porsche Development Department, had sent a 9-11 to the Monte Carlo rally in early 1965. Eberhard Linga and Peter Falk had made the most of the opportunity to score a convincing fifth-place finish in the overall classification, but the mood was hardly exuberant for all that. The Monte was regarded as a test drive. The victories of hill-climb specialist Iberhard Mala in his private 9-11 in the summer of 1965 were likewise regulated to the footnotes. No one at the time would have imagined starting a Series 911 in a 24-hour race, let alone in Daytona, with its bombastic banked walls and grinding full-speed sections. For Team Ryan, improvisation was the watchword. First they pitched the passenger seat, then came the hand-built sports exhaust, a big pipe positioned right in the center of the tail. To protect the driver, a rudimentary targa bar was installed. Additional light was provided by the two headlights installed below the bumper an important consideration in the long Daytona night. The lights illuminating start number 18 were dim by contrast, but required so that the race direction could identify the numbers on the doors in the dark. In the few test drives, Ryan and colleagues had tested race tires on the 4.5 by 15-inch series steel rims. Modifying the chassis and brakes were out of the question. There were no parts. The car came standard with an antenna, speaker, and AM radio on the airwaves. But a radio has some weight to it, and in a race, weight costs time. Maybe the team dispensed with the receiver, or maybe they wanted some entertainment during the endless hours of racing. No one knows. In pictures from the time, however, the antenna can be seen extended. It couldn't be helped. In a long-distance call to Germany, Huschke von Hanstein was obligated to inform headquarters that the illustrious race would be contested by a 911 with over 30,000 miles on the dial and a series boxer engine under the hood. Consternation at the Porsche head office. What would happen if the new Porsche model broke down in its very first appearance on a circuit race on a major international stage, which was a distinct possibility? Diminished prestige, to be sure. Schadenfreude, snickering in the pits. Unthinkable. Zuffenhausen leaned on Huschke von Hanstein to do everything in his power to keep the 911 from entering. Not drive? Just go home? Not with Ryan. It's my car now and I'm entering it. He dismissed Von Honstein abruptly. Ryan had legally acquired the car. The nine eleven had been built in accordance with the rules and accepted by the organizers. He had set his mind on driving in Daytona, and that was exactly what he would do. Zuffenhausen so couldn't do a thing about it. Thus rebuffed, Von Honstein stomped back to the Porsche pit. It was time for a new plan. If you can't beat him, join him. Ryan's calculation, his car, its mere 130 horsepower hopelessly outmatched by the favorites, could only land somewhere near the front with a steady drive. His race began on February 5, 1966 at 3 p.m. from the 39th spot on the grid, not overly fast, but posting consistent lap times. Never mind winning, just get to the finish line. To anyone who wanted to pass the 911, go right ahead. The driver trio ticked off one lap after the other on the 6.132-kilometer track without a hitch. By 6 p.m., car number 18 was in 33rd place in the overall classification. Three hours later, in 25th place. And just before 8 a.m., the organizers were reporting the car in 19th place. That was the lead in the 2-liter GT class. Hushka von Hanstein was thrilled. If there were any problems... He magnanimously informed the Ryan team his Porsche factory mechanics would be at their service. But number 18 didn't need any assistance. The 911 was running like a charm. The team refueled regularly, checked the oil level, and changed drivers and tires as necessary. But if the race was mercifully free of adverse excitement, the finish was decidedly spectacular. After 24 hours and 548 laps, the car took 16th place in the overall classification the winner of the GT class, up to a two-liter displacement and ahead of far more powerful competitors from other classes. Its only class rival had dropped out with busted connecting rods. Von Hanstein was doubtfully delighted. The Porsche 906 had also scored a class win and taken sixth overall behind four heavily favored Ford GT40s and the Ferrari 365 P2. Ryan drove the 911 again at Sebring, where he took second in his class despite a blown piston. After multiple changes of ownership and many races, the car wound up in Ohio. For four decades, it served as a private car before the last owner, Christian Zugel, donated it to the Collier Collection at the Revs Institute in Naples. A milestone in Porsche racing history, practically in its original state, with the original engine and the original transmission. The unmistakable look of a winner.